Hello and welcome to another episode in the Creating Customer Success podcast series. My name is Dan and I'm your host. And my name is Alex and I'm your co-host. In this series, we are interviewing customer success leaders to learn how to build and run the best CS teams. We hope you all enjoy listening. So firstly, Kate, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Really excited to have you as a guest. Um, I guess to kick things off, I mean, most people listening would have heard of you definitely, uh, especially with the work that you do with the Customer Success Network, but it would be great to just get a quick intro uh, from yourself. Yeah, thank you very much. So yeah, Kate Ford Journey, and I uh, wear a couple of hats. I am the CEO and one of the co-founders of Customer Success Network, which is a peer learning community for customer success managers in the EMEA region. And I'm also the head of customer at Service Rocket, which is an Atlassian partner company. Fantastic. And I think in terms of what we're looking to obviously get out of today um, with your experience, uh, firstly, we would love to understand how you got started within customer success, but then also how that evolved into the work and obviously found in the customer success, customer success network as well. Yeah. So uh, firstly, how I got into customer success. So I was a consultant at KPMG here in London and I had been tasked with helping a senior partner working in banking regulation to extend his voice across the organization because he felt that his messaging was not being heard um, and basically it was all via email and it looked and felt the same as uh, the toilet messages about the second floor toilets being blocked. And so when he asked me to help him um, grow his voice around banking regulation, uh, I started looking for social tools and I came across something called Yammer. And I originally was like, it's pretty cool. And I was one of the early adopters at KPMG. And then, um, yeah, so I, look, I actually like, was oh, this is cool. Looked for a job, but there were just a bunch of jobs in San Francisco. And then time went on. We didn't really use Yammer for him. I continued doing my work at KPMG. And then I moved in with one of my good Australian friends. And it turned out he had a job at Yammer as an AE and I had totally forgotten about looking up this company and considering it as a place to work and I was saying I think I need to look for another job I want to do something more around like account management and and he said but are you a people and change person we have a job at our company that does change but also does account management um, do you want to apply and explain to me what a customer success manager was? And I was like, yeah, that sounds cool. So that was a Sunday night while we were cooking dinner. Uh, after dinner, I put my CV together and by Tuesday I had an interview. And then uh, a couple of months later, I had my first customer success job at Yammer. Fantastic. And what was it like back, I guess, with that first role in customer success? Because I think we've come across quite a few people now actually that have worked at Yammer. So were they, I guess one of the early companies or early SaaS companies that started to implement customer success? It's certainly one of the earliest companies here in London um, or Europe even. And uh, so Salesforce already had their CSM team, but I think at that stage it's mostly out of Dublin. So we, we had a couple of people from Salesforce um, in our team. And then the bulk of the team came out of consulting. So we'd worked at uh, the likes of Deloitte, PwC, KPMG, Accenture and Capgemini pretty much made up the bulk of our team. 
Yeah, I think um, there's a lot of people that we've interviewed so far that have similar sort of backgrounds in terms of like consulting, being client facing, etc. But what was it in particular that like when your friend was explaining the customer success role to you, what was it that mostly attracted you? Um, that he was so happy at work, I think. Um, he really got a lot of energy out of his job. And uh, I was just looking for something different. Like I think I'd done four years of consulting and I didn't really see a future there. I didn't want to be a partner. I didn't really like the model of how money was distributed and or profits were distributed inside a consulting firm. And it didn't, I didn't really see it as an ethical place to work. So I was looking for alternatives. Amazing. And with consulting, actually, because we um, recently did an interview with somebody that was talking about when they're hiring for CSMs, typically good candidates have come from having a consulting background. Was there anything that, or any skills that you had as a consultant that you think transferred quite well over when you become a CSM? Yeah, I think um, particularly in that early Yammer team where many of us were consultants, we were all very process orientated about how we tackled customer problems. So um, we understood how to talk to customers of different state, different stakeholders across the organisation. Many of us had the capability to talk up to sea level, even if we hadn't necessarily had a lot of exposure. We'd had some exposure. Um, we had strong project man- management methodologies. Many of us had been taught about the principles of selling, even though. We didn't directly sell, which fits really well with the uh, customer success requirement to spot expansion and growth opportunities inside customers. Uh, We also understood how to work in teams. So I think that's a really important thing in terms of a growing customer success team is that you can define roles and then work together to collaboratively to get to an endpoint with a customer. And so in a company like Yama, where we had some senior so like we were mid-level senior people at that stage and then we had uh, a lot of new people who hadn't even finished graduate programs at consulting firms and so they were still learning and we were teaching them the techniques but we understood how to get a team to work together and I think that was probably uh, between project management, expansion selling and um, teamwork was probably the secret source at that time. Fantastic. And um, so I guess when you was at Yammer, you then moved on to Microsoft. Yeah, um, through acquisition. Okay, so that was through acquisition. And did was there any kind of particular changes from going from Yammer to to Microsoft, or was it fairly similar in terms of like that transition? It couldn't have been more different. So, <laughs> um, so that's actually one of the reasons why I joined the company now because at last I at last you know going through a similar transition minus the leadership change that Microsoft was going through. In uh, 2012, we were acquired 2012, but it wasn't 2013 until we really felt the impact. And uh, back then, Microsoft was pretty much a on-prem business that was a complete selling business. So it was all about, there was no such thing as usage. The, the closest they got to usage was a dollar value. And the coming in as a cloud technology into that kind of environment um, was quite disruptive, but also it was uh, an insane journey and to go through the shift from Steve Ballmer's leadership to Satya Nadella's and the the just almost like a 90 degree turn to go from being like they'd bought Nokia they hadn't like really on like strong on-prem business to turning it around and talking about uh, cloud first talking about customer first um, and being very mission driven and all focused in the cloud it was that incredible ride to be part of so we were very much 
at the forefront of helping Microsoft make that shift and helping partners make that shift and making the teams in the countries make that shift. Um, but the other part was that as a CSM, we went from having to just do Yammer to taking on the developing and maturing Office 365 stack as well, um, which at the time I think was made up of four sort of separate products that stuck together and then the engineering team was trying to build Yammer into the stack as well. So um, as a CSM, having a multi-product approach to a customer became, I think the job got a lot more interesting, harder, but a lot more interesting. And what were the main challenges? Um, Because you mentioned there like trying to move the mindset from or towards being more customer first in, in terms of the approach? What were the main challenges in terms of like the leadership that you had to engage with or even the other teams that you were working with? Um, I think, so I didn't really personally feel too many problems. Like UK, I think we worked really well across the teams. Um, from the partner side, they just didn't understand the shift yet and they couldn't see how their business model would adapt to the cloud. Um, and then I think from the company side, it was a very like Microsoft only world. And so they didn't understand that users wouldn't just use Microsoft products anymore, that you'd want to access uh, the, the work tools that you use every day and make you productive on a, on a Mac or an iPhone or on an Android device. And I think that was the biggest bit of tension that we felt because we all had like Mac products that we'd had through Yammer, but we were still, we were attending Microsoft events with Mac products. And that created a lot of tension in the company because they couldn't understand how you could be almost like a traitor to the company. But I think also that it shifted that it's not about what you use, it's about how the user uses what you use and making everything easily accessible to the end user. Um, so I think it forced some of those changes, but it wasn't always easy. And it took really Satya to come in and um, have a very strong vision for the future of the company for those things to stop being so antagonistic to individuals. Yeah, I think we've kind of had that um, mentioned on another episode, haven't we, in terms of um, when you really sit down and think about your end users, your competitors aren't what you would consider your competitors. It's actually other tools or the platforms you're competing for, like desk, desktop space, basically, yeah, in terms right. of what they would use in their day-to-day role. Yeah. Um, so I think people do forget about that, really, don't they? Yeah. And even in terms of comparisons, like if you think about service that you're delivering, you're not, again, being compared to those direct competitors. As Alex said, when I think about service I get, you can compare the most sort of random things against one another in terms of understanding where that sort of value is and, and how yeah. it's being delivered. Um, so I guess uh, kind of just in terms of your experience then going from sort of Yammer to obviously being part of Microsoft, um, how did you then go into starting and, and founding the Customer Success Network? Yeah, so uh, it kind of happened by like, yeah, uh, think, about, think about how it happened. So. Um, so, so a few things happened. So in January 2016, Microsoft made all the Office 365 CSMs that had come through the AMA acquisition redundant. Um, so today they have a new team that's about 300 people deep globally. Um, so that's a new team. It's made up still of Yammer people, but um, we were all made redundant and then had to find new roles. So I went into a role in what was called the Fast Track Center, which was a velocity onboarding service for all of Office 365 
customers with more than 150 licenses globally. So super interesting to be working at an engine that scale, um, bringing in customers 100% remotely. So it was an incredible learning experience. Um, but I think I got to a point where I'd done the interesting work and then I was just in kind of execution and I had built something, I'd helped build it and it was very uh, like AS process orientated and um, it led to like pretty decent outcomes, but it was just repeating the same thing over and over again um, remotely. And I just needed a change. I'd done, done it for enough, enough time, I think. So I also had some family changes. So I thought I'd take a career break um, by then Gainsight had arrived in, in London and I'd been introduced to Dan. Uh, Simon had a chat with him and I was like, oh, I've got these ideas. I'm not sure that land. And, and then, yeah, he said, oh, I'll try it. And it was actually on to consulting. And um, then I was like, yeah, but you can't do consulting if you don't have a community to tap into. And then I realized I didn't want to do consulting, but I think we needed a community. So um, if you've kind of read my manifesto on my LinkedIn page, it's like really about paying it forward, like having all these fortunate experiences and then bringing others in and helping them um, access some of the learning that there's many people like me in the CS community, but like accessing learning, sharing what we know so that as a profession we grow and become established. So I just um, thought I'd do that. I happened to meet a few people randomly in London who were floating around in between jobs, including Prasoon Ranjan, who was ex-Salesforce, had just come back from India. Um, and we decided to have a go at this thing together. So we were given space at uh, the Pulse event in 2017 and we launched the week before. Um, so at that stage, we were just a website that we like crowdsourced kind of what content should go on. We used Google Analytics to prove that people told us what they needed and they were kind of close, but not close. And then in the following January, we built an online community uh, with Workplace. And then the following February, we hosted our first event. So at that stage uh, in January, I think we had around a hundred members and who were like sort of testing the community. And then today we have over three and a half thousand wow. members. That's fantastic. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, I think it's really testament to the interest and the growth in CS overall. Um, it always comes up in conversations and I know obviously a couple of people that we work with and ourselves included have obviously been to some of the events before and I think it's um, it really shows what the kind of personality traits of the standard CS person is in terms of like the sharing and the collaboration. And it kind of go, it goes back to what you were saying about when you first joined Yammer in terms of everyone can work together really well, everyone's open to collaboration. Um, but would you say that the main aim is to try and create more standardized frameworks? Because I think one of the things that we found doing these episodes is there is a lot of like theory and not necessarily set. Like if you compare CS to something like sales, for example, in sales, there are like go-to frameworks that everyone is aware of and everyone uses, whereas in CS, there maybe is less so. So would you say that that's the main sort of aim? Yeah, we are working towards um, exposing frameworks but like sales there's many different ways to skin a cat so uh like we we're talking just before this podcast began about i'm in a role right now that's um i still do customer success but i do it from a very different angle that i have mostly uh 
services people so people who get charged out on behalf of the company but trying to bring in some of the customer success principles so I use a lot of CS stuff but I frame it in a different way because my job requires me to frame it in a different way so I think that's what makes the variability in CS is that we all measure our customer success slightly differently mm-hmm. and also our customers, our, our companies are built with different structures. So depending who you report to, how you're compensated, all those things make you have to use a different model. But I think what's important is that we have access to lots of models that we can apply to uh, our companies and our the functions that we're working to. So I think that's, that's one of the things that I think with the community is that people can ask those questions about have you done this before and what didn't work and what has worked so that we don't, we learn faster than if we just did it on our own without that openness. Sounds great. And have you seen any particular challenges or questions that are asked from CSMs within uh, um, the some of the so early on a lot of it was around scaling uh we saw people thinking about scaling in terms of just adding headcount when it's really more about how you manage your processes inside the company than just headcount um hiring has continued to be something that's interesting to people um CS ops is definitely emerging as a new topic. So um, I think that sits closely to the next level of scaling. So once you understand how to measure your business a little bit better, how do you keep that, the mechanics of that and always keep data moving forward so that you're learning from the data points you have um, rather than just using human effort to understand your customers. I think that's become a lot more prevalent. Um, what have you guys noticed? Well, I was going to say, um, from either the interviews that we've been doing or like the stuff that we see sort of thought leaders talking about like, on LinkedIn and stuff like that, it seems to be moving towards more like the language focusing on things like value and outcomes. Um, whereas maybe even a few years ago, it was probably words like usage and adoption were the main yeah. uh, main focuses. But I think people are starting to, I was going to say, like, do you see that translating into people that, within the community are asking those questions does that translate into how do we focus on outcome rather than just adoption yeah and i i think yeah we have moved past adoption into like longer term value because adoption's kind of the first thing you do when you get, try to get your customer to be sticky on your on your service but i think uh i think we're moving more towards a financially driven model of customer success and one that requires more prediction so that we understand our customers at scale rather than as individual customers so that i don't know if that makes sense so it's almost one one step removed from outcomes so if you say outcomes is a customer wanted to achieve this goal and they did that's fantastic but don't you want to know the value how much it costs to achieve that goal and also how do you replicate that over and over again at the cheapest price possible for your company? Because if it took uh, eight CSMs six months to achieve that goal, that's probably not cost-effective outcome. So certainly what, what I'm doing at my company is I like 
and we don't have strong predictive capabilities. We're doing having to build models. I've got a, a CS, a leader in Australia who does a lot of the ops work for for us, but he, he builds these models manually and then tests them manually because we don't have the capability yet. We don't have a, a gain side or a plan hat or a churn or one of those tools that does it for us. We're trying to build the models at a small scale and test it and build it as robustly as possible and then looking at other opportunities to make it easier for us to get this data faster. Fantastic. It's interesting actually just because obviously from doing this uh, podcast series so far, we've obviously been speaking to kind of different companies, um, obviously like large corporates, kind of smaller startups or scale-ups. And um, from the conversation that we had with Dan Farley, who I know um, obviously you know quite well, something that he touched on was just prioritization. So obviously there's there's always going to be a long list of what you want to do. So for example, usage could be, or pre- like predictive usage, for example, could be one of those things. But prioritizing what do we do now over what, you know, what would be nice to have versus what can we actually do with the resources that we've got. And I think it sounds like at the moment, obviously with the uh, sort of current role that you're in at the moment, a, a lot of that, I imagine a lot of your day is like prioritizing the most crucial tasks that are going to help yeah sort of scale and yeah and i think that's kind of one of the fun parts of being a cs leader actually is trying to work out what uh protects the company revenue the most of making a decision around that so when i started where i am now um we we looked at how customer centric we were as an organization because i just had a feel so i come from a culture change background and sometimes can just get a feel for things and i had a feel from listening to the way people talked and behaved that um we maybe could be more focused on our customer so we built a survey um to understand our degree of customer centricity and so we'd done i did some interviews and then built this survey based around i think it was six components don't ask me what they are i'm not going to remember <laughs> off the top of my head but it basically looked across the customer life cycle so like how do you get to learn about a customer before you even talk to them how do you talk to your team about a customer before you all start working on them so all those things you need to do to grow a customer's a relationship and then build trust and then expand that relationship over time we looked at kind of like the behaviors internally that we needed to facilitate for that to happen and we learned a lot about things we gaps we had so as a cs leader the very first thing i did was try to understand like how can we create opportunities to have better relationships with our customers that would enable us to expand selling into those customers as fast as possible so we did something called um like a get to know your customer activity which is still still ongoing um because i think i I, it's harder than it's harder than you if you come from a CS background it kind of is your DNA but for people who's not a CS background it's actually kind of a new thing to, it's a big mindset shift and something new to learn but the hypothesis was if we could help people get to learn about their customers more they would have be more empathetic for where the what the customer's trying to achieve with what they purchased therefore they would also understand where the limitations are of what we were delivering and be able to talk to the customer about other opportunities. Therefore, there would be some expand selling. So we've done that through like an individual activity and then we've built learning circles where we have cross-team, cross-geographic groups of people that 
three or four people working together to build these profiles out. And then they have to actively take this customer and then go and build these relationships they said they'd like to build and then see if they can find an opportunity out of it that then generates a lead for a company. So that's like the first thing. So you say, oh, the CS leader only protects customers. Churn. And so we decided, no, actually, we weren't going to look at churn. We were going to look at expansion as our first thing. Because once you do that, it starts happening without you. And whereas churn takes a little bit more science and effort to go behind it. So we're actually now looking at our renewal process and churn issues in another part of the company. But that's only come after we started building our expansion out. Fantastic. I guess if customers are buying more from you, it's a sign that they're probably happy, less likely to churn. As a yeah. result of that, so I can see why you'd probably start there. Yes, exactly. So the hypothesis was if we improved our relationships, we would reduce the transactional nature of our engagements with our customers and make them more long-term. Yeah, I think it's a great point because um, it then expands into the other teams. And I know it, it always comes up, um, again, doing these interviews, but everyone always says customer success isn't a team or a function, it's a whole philosophy. And if everyone is bought in, and kind of like you were saying before we started recording, being like obsessed with the customer and being a customer first um, thinking business, if you then have even like the new business team, the account managers or the relationship managers, whatever they're referred to as, if at the very first point of contact with that prospect, if they're already thinking about the end goal and the renewal and expansion it just becomes much easier for the whole process even like the onboarding and stuff like that yeah no definitely i think the the thing that we started talking was was having a purpose and being having knowing when you get out of bed what you why you're at work and what you're trying to achieve with your customers and so purpose is really at the heart of having a great relationship with our customers and then the other thing was convincing a bunch of people who've never really heard about customer success like ever to start like thinking it's something they wanted to learn more about so uh we uh, we did some like sort of intro sessions what is cs and that kind of stuff but actually like when i talked to the team being a customer centered person actually makes your job super fun Mm -hmm. and so one of the things that we try to build at work is like when i build a team i'm really passionate that people come to work and have a great time at work they have great relationships they're supported by their manager they can see a future and a career that they're allowed to like make mistakes and do creative things um and that they feel that if they do that people will be like want to know more about why they did that and even they make a mistake people's like oh that's probably not the best thing you could have done but let's try this and let's fix this with a customer so i don't really believe that you can make mistakes at work um you could have done things better but um never never really make mistakes so uh, they try to create an environment where not just our team can operate in that way in the customer first way but our customers feel that they get they can innovate and be creative with us and that rather than having standard solutions in their enterprise they can start thinking oh well what if we did this over in hr we've only ever done this in it but wouldn't Jira Service Desk be great for HR as well. They have a high volume of transactional queries. Maybe this would help them. Yeah, I think that's great. And it's um, definitely something that's evident through all these interviews. And in other ways, it's come up as like curiosity or being inquisitive and stuff like that. And I think that's, it does seem to be a very common trait for the best CS people in terms of going that one step beyond with 
although you've asked the first question, what's the one after that? And understanding, I think um, in one of the episodes we were talking about, um, so going back to what I said about like based on outcomes and value, if you know the first reason why the customer has purchased your software or your tool, um, if you can help them achieve that, but then one step beyond that, that's how you then generate things like the expansion opportunities and maybe moving them up to be an enterprise account rather than um, like mid-market or, yeah. or something like that. Yep, that's right. Perfect. Fantastic. Um, so something we've uh, kind of been asking about, and I'd love to get your perspective on this, just because of all of the relationships that you have in the community, the different company, not necessarily just from a company perspective, but also speaking to different CSMs. Um, what, like, what do you see is changing within the industry of customer success? And I guess where do you see it heading in the future? Um, well, that's a big question. Uh, so the first thing I see... Uh, let's say what it, how I see it heading in the future. I think the principles of customer success will be applied to a lot more businesses than just B2B SaaS companies. Um, and it's certainly why I joined where I joined is because I wanted to see if you could apply it to companies that didn't have a B2B SaaS model. And I think the answer is absolutely you can. Um, so I think that's the first is that it's going to be something that's more prevalent in many companies and we'll see in if it's not there already like insurance companies and banks it will be a role where you add value to a customer without necessarily having to transact in that um in that that relationship point or that interaction isn't a transaction it is a long-term thing um and i think the other trend is thing that we might see is teams being uh like the redundancy around teams. I'm not sure that as a profession that we are very clear about the value that we add to companies and we need to be thinking about what we do constantly in terms of um, generating revenue. So churn protection in itself does not generate revenue. It just maintains revenue. So we need to be a function that's continually growing um, the value of the companies that we work for. And I'm not sure that many CS teams or not all CS teams have got that yet. And that if we don't do that, we are an overhead cost to the company. And so when they do look at uh, managing costs in changing times or they need to invest in like a, they want to acquire a company or they want to buy a new product, I mean, engineering new product, like CS will go to make room for new engineers. So we need to add continual value to our company. Do you think on, I guess, on the opposite end of the scale, those companies that are implementing CS really effectively and they're able to say, um, you know, we have a great renewal rate, but we also like CS is responsible for expansion and growth. Do those companies become more investable in terms of like for those uh, like scale ups or startups? Do you think they, that is more of a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? More of an attractive um, image in terms of if they're able to prove that CS yes. function. Yeah, because you want to completely protect your customer base but always grow. So I think that's like, I learned that from Microsoft. We did a great job at uh, protecting our customer base. So out of the customers that I worked on, I never had a churn customer ever. And to this date, I don't think those customers have churned, which proves the long-term value of CS. But 
what we couldn't prove was how much we could support the growth of those accounts. And that's actually what many investors are interested in as well. Do you think there's the, not necessarily within all companies, but do you think to some extent there is maybe a knowledge gap for some CSMs with regards to having that professional uh, commercial experience? Uh, yeah, I think so. And it's definitely something that I like personally feel is having to come into this role and have the financial acumen to go with it. So I studied one unit of finance at uni as part of my degree. I can read a basic P&L, which is great for a CSM because that's all you need to be able to do is read your customer's P&L and, uh, or the annual, the P&L and the annual reports, all you need to be able to do. So I, I've come in now and I now have a team that's got a like managing budgets, managing plans, looking at financial metrics. And for me, this is like to be completely open, something that's new for me and that I'm having to learn on the go. And um, when I took the role, I was open about that. So I try to get the support of the people in the organization who are really good at this so that I can learn as well. Because I think like once you get to this type of level in the organization, you need to um, drive the business from the financial side just as much as you do um, kind of the actions with customers. Um, and so, yeah, I think that I hear from many CSMs who do struggle with the financial side of um, managing, like as particularly as they get promoted up through the business. Yeah, and there's almost like two aspects to that, isn't there? There's one from like the customer's perspective, so like how commercially can I spot opportunities, maybe um, create leads for account managers, AEs depending on the structure but then also on the other side like you say how do you prove the value of customer success and really you've got to understand like the SaaS model or just your business model in general so you can kind of show where that value is and the impact that you've had yeah I was going to say on that note do you think it will be more of a trend if more and more SaaS companies are able to start calculating things like cost of service for their CS teams does that then potentially open up opportunities to start charging for CS as a service or do you think that will just constantly be included in standard sort of subscription? Yeah, I, I know there's like an argument for charging for CS. Um, so I, like, I'm not sure what the answer is. It depends, again, like on the company and you can embed the cost of your CS function into the product. And I am having been part of that model and seen how effective it is, I think it is a really great way to work you definitely have a lot more freedom to achieve outcomes with the company or achieve what the customer needs um, without the restrictions of time and those types of budgets um, the thing that i saw happen a lot was csms not execute fast enough so there's a trade-off you as a cs leader you need to be very clear about the steps the cs team needs to go through you need to train your cs team they need to be like they need to understand those kind of like several ways to skin a cat but it's within these bounds you can't just do what you want when you want so like i saw junior csms like rewriting decks for customers like no 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 that's a customer work like that's their internal training they write that not you so there was a bit of that like wasted resource um so, but in terms of charging for CS, I've also been in a team that's tried to do that. It it works, but then you run into all the 
challenges of ambiguity that happens with consulting, but you're not a consulting team. So um, when there's a scope slip or someone leaves or like all those problems still exist. So I'm, I don't know, I'm on the fence. So it's, yes, there's times where you should be charging because the resource doesn't exist inside the customer and it puts the product at risk and there's other times it should be just part of the product yeah and i guess it depends on your product yeah i was going to say it depends on how embedded you can be within your customers organization as well right yeah perfect so the final section that we've been asking people about is um basically advice um and we've been asking about it from a, a range of different perspectives really so for someone that's wanting to get into a cs career or someone that's wanting to get into a leadership perspective um so what would you typically say to someone if you were to give them some advice? No, I've given a lot of advice to a lot of people around CS. I get a lot of messages on LinkedIn about how do I get into CS. So I always say meet people who work in CS. So um, go onto LinkedIn and find people that you'd like to meet and have coffee with them. Um, but I now do a scale approach because I can't, I just literally cannot have coffee with everyone all the time um so we run events so in customer success network one of the things we did was um take away the friction that we saw in existing cs events that were preventing them happen in europe and um yeah running teaching people to run different events so we run customer assessed cafes and i think they're in 23 cities across the region and anyone can start it so if it's a csm who doesn't have a cs cafe in their city we suggest they start it show some leadership because people recognize leadership even if you don't know what you're doing you can get people together and have coffee that's easy and then if you don't if you already have a cafe in your in your city go to that cafe like meet people so i think one of your colleagues um that's how he got um tim got a job just coming to our cafe down in shoreditch Mm -hmm. and asking lots of questions about he wanted to do cs ops i think and asking lots of questions about cs ops and how you get into it and then people introduced him to people who had jobs and then i think it took him maybe four months to get a job so there's are there are a lot of jobs out there and they do fit people from varied backgrounds so just being meeting people i think is the best way to get a job and even i think that gives you the ability as well just to find out whether the job's right for you as well so you can actually speak to somebody that's kind of been through it you can find out what they like what they don't like and just see how that best fits and probably even so at different companies are you more suited for a startup versus like a you know like a huge enterprise company because there are different personalities um which is something i'm starting to think more about now even myself like what kind of role do i see myself in the future like what do i want to be do like what sort of challenge do i want to have so yeah i can see how that would yeah, there's definitely like in the startup ecosystem, there's jobs where you can move into that role, like the equivalent of a head of role, really at a CSM level. If you went to another company, you might be a CSM, but you'd be a head of somewhere else. And the advice I give many people is that you could jump into a head of CS role and have the title and be the only CSM there. But if you haven't learned your trade, you're not going to develop yourself as such a well-rounded csm as if you just dive into a head of role and you maybe work at maybe like a very close customer level but you don't get the chance to i guess develop all the different skills around cs ops that scale csm 
enterprise CSM, all that stuff is learned from other people. And I'm a really big believer that the best CSMs are those that like, are really focused on growing their career step by step and learning everything they can from where they are and pushing as far as they can into their company. And if they can't go further, then it's time to look, but being very clear about what they're good at and where they need to grow and then going to that company that offers that growth spot rather than just going, oh, I can already do that, so I'm going to do it again or I want the job title because in customer says, job titles mean nothing. Um, if like, so I, I know um, Stephen... Lewandowski, who's the global head of CS at Signavio, based out of Berlin, his CSMs that he hire at CSM level are incredibly senior people. He, he hires very, very, very good people. They're CSMs. So yeah. like, it just proves that it's the work that you do. It's not the job title that you have. So that would be one of the biggest bits of advice I would give CSMs is chase what you want to do next, don't chase job titles. They don't so mean like anything. So like the self-awareness of your own skills and identifying where those gaps are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I think that's such good advice and something that's probably been said to me quite a few times in terms of don't be too eager to be doing something else. I think it was Rav that said it actually. It was just like focus on like what you're doing right now, become very good at that as opposed to always thinking about you know what's next because it's quite a millennial thing now as well people are in such a rush to get a certain job title a certain promotion a certain pay increase they'll just end up jumping from job to job and then not really developing those skills as opposed to just you know focusing on sometimes the foundations and building out building yeah. those out so that's yeah, right our that's careers great. are long as well yeah. so <laughs> like the thing when you stay at a place for a while is you build the relationships and you build the trust of the people around you and not just the people that you work with inside your company but with your customers and you realize really quickly once you leave one job and go into another that you'll meet the same people over and over again so like then you want that trust to be pre-existing that's part of getting older is that you get to leverage the stuff you've done previously to do the new stuff a little bit faster or a little bit better so um, that side, there's a there's a post in our community about hiring, hiring, uh, nurturing hiring relationships. So we have a lot of CSMs going through a lot of jobs inside the community. Um, it's a referral system that we run, and so we're saying to people like treat every rejection like a learning experience. So you don't necessarily need feedback. You need to reflect on what you did well and what you could have done, gone better. And sometimes CSMs will say to me, "I didn't get a job. Like this is my." this is what I sent as part of my case study. Would you mind reviewing it and saying where my gaps were? And like, I don't mind doing that. And I think that's what the community is for is just sharing. Like if I was hiring you, this is where I would see that gap, but I'm not hiring you. It might be a different thing, but that for me was maybe what you can work on next time. Um, but as well, the leaders, I think the, one of the best way to get your coolest next job is to be referred into it. And someone say, oh, I know someone who could do that job. Um, so actually Dan got his job because the head of sales there is one of my ex-colleagues and he rang up and said, do you know who could be for the, good for this head of CNET CS role? And I was like, uh, yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it goes back to what you were saying when we first asked you the, the question on advice and it's just putting yourself out there, isn't it? Going to meet people that are already in the community, in the industry and if you put yourself out there and they begin to trust you, like you say, then you're more likely to 
be at the front of their mind when they come across those opportunities. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, demonstrating. So like I think Dan has been, Dan is a perfect example of a CS, senior CSM who made the step into a leadership position. So uh, he was very much a senior CSM, but the thing that he did was unique against people like the other many senior CSMs is he took a leadership position in the community. He said very early, like, this is a great place to learn. I want to help teach others. And he's been running the London uh the customer assess cafe down at the Hoxton once a month for two years he was the very very first person who stood and took up leadership in the community and he's not a guy who's been around for like 20 years or a seasoned ex-Salesforce guy he's a guy who's like learned his passage by lots of hard work and um, building lots of strong relationships with people who can help him learn inside the community fantastic brilliant cool well, um, yeah, thank you so much for um, obviously kind of partaking in the podcast. Like we've been so excited to, to kind of interview you. So thank you for making the time. I know you're super busy um, at the moment, especially obviously in the kind of leading up to Christmas as well. But uh, I'm sure we'd both love to kind of do this again in the future. Um, so, uh, yeah, thank yeah, you very much. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me.